0: Welcome to the Breaking Stars podcast, where we feature stories of people like you and me that have been through what we've been through and broke into tech. As many of you know, breaking into tech is one thing, but staying in tech is another, which is why we're doing something a little bit different today and interviewing uh, the VP of sales of several high growth startups that has now uh, created their own program to help startups know how to play the game um it's a very interesting episode because um sales is one of the best ways to break the tech but is a, it is an up or out position meaning that you're usually given two quota cycles and we'll talk about what quotas are on the podcast episode um or you're fired uh sometimes you're given a three-month ramp period or you're fired um and that time period is given to you to perform um Ideally, closing deals or setting up meetings for the account executives. It's a great episode because, um, you know, we go in about a lot of things, including our connection to Atlanta. Shout out to Atlanta and shout out to everybody that is uh, in their lift car or walking down the street, um, evangelizing this message and warning people about the changes that are happening in the world related to Automation, artificial intelligence, and AI, and how the jobs are going to go away, but that there's a silver lining and there are skills that you can develop. And there are resources like this one to learn how to break in. So, again, we appreciate you all for telling your friends to give you their phone, pull out the podcast app, search Breaking Startups, and leave a review. We appreciate all of you that join the Facebook community page and share. Amazing stories about how you all broke in. We appreciate all of you that let people know about our research page so people could, you know, get boot camp training for free and get access to scholarships. We appreciate all of you who actively listen and don't passively listen and let people know that this is just the first step and what we're building is much bigger than a podcast. This is a movement. And without further ado, let's break in growing up we're told that in order to be successful you need to be a banker a doctor or a lawyer that's what the gatekeepers want you to think but we're part of something bigger we're part of a technological revolution either you're at the table or on the table get in the end 10x yo 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 this is Ruben harris i'm here with the homies archer and timor meister and this is the breaking stars podcast timor can you please tell the people what we're doing today
1: yeah, so tonight it's eight PM on a Wednesday and a lot of you some of you who are just tuning in, a lot of you probably are wondering like where are these guys recording from. So we actually have a remote studio and we go to startups, we go to boot camps, we go to different nonprofits, and whenever we have a really dope guest, we just break out our bag, take out of the equipment and click record. So tonight we're recording out of Hack Reactor. We have a pretty good view of the city. It's right on market and sixth. We have a, a really special guest, Ruben. Can you please introduce the guest?
0: Yeah, team. Well, dope guest is an understatement. We're here with another fellow AT We're here with Mandy Cole, who is our first experience, like super senior experience interview, and she has been the VP of Sales at Zenefits, Main Street Hub, Stella and Dot, Living Social, and is now the founder of the Cole Method, which is a consulting firm that helps startups that have reached one plus million in revenue to start learning how to go from putting balls in the basket to playing basketball. She's interviewed over 500 AEs, 300 SDRs, 150 executive sales leaders. And the reason why this episode is very special to us is because it's very important for someone that successfully broke into a startup to understand what a high-functioning sales organization looks like, because a lot of times a junior salesperson joins a startup that's not managing their team well or doesn't have processes in place to put them in a position of thinking that they aren't good salespeople. And while there's always room for improvement, it's important to know how a high functioning sales organization is supposed to operate. And Mandy is an expert at not just building these or organizations, but explaining how that looks like and has established those processes at all these organizations. And you need to know that so you can properly assess your strengths and weaknesses. So I know that that was a mouthful, but now we're gonna take a step back. And Mandy, thank you for joining us.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, yeah, no problem. So before going into you know, what you're doing today, it'd be great to know how you started you know, getting into sales in the first place.
2: Sure. I'm from Atlanta, as you mentioned, and then North ATL Carolina. The house, Yeah, <laughs> born and moved to North Carolina when I was just coming out of elementary school and went to Chapel Hill. And the way that I got into sales was when I was in school. Or my senior year, everybody's going to on-campus interviews and going and sitting in an office for nine hours seemed like the most horrible thing I'd ever heard of. And so I moved to Steamboat Springs with three friends and said, we're going to be ski bums while we figure it out, which, you know, my parents were reluctantly supportive of (laughs) because they had paid for my education. So there, that's where I really, I started working for the Steamboat, the hotel there and group sales. And
0: What did you study in school?
2: communication studies.
0: Got it. Got it. Really cool. And so you did this first job, you got into sales and what was that experience like?
2: It was great. I was lucky that I had, a, there was a small team and there was a more tenured person and he sort of took me under his wing and taught me a lot about how he would get, you know, this is early days, but just qualifying and how to really think about what you're really going to put in your pipeline. So some of those core things that I think sometimes it takes a salesperson a while, you don't mm-hmm. want to, you know, there's a lot of fool's gold out there. So mm-hmm. and it's your business. But I think that's where I, where I really got the bug. And then I moved back to North Carolina after a year and was working selling phone systems until a friend told me about City Search.
0: Very cool. Very cool. You had a mentor and he taught you these sales fundamentals. And so, you know, for the people that don't know or are thinking about these careers, can you break down kind of like those key fundamentals that he kind of like taught you without going too deep about every single one?
2: Sure. He was great because he was another salesperson, just more senior. He'd been doing it for 10 years. So he was really good about. I think some of the things that you don't think about around just daily habits, it's one of the things when you're talking about basketball and you know great basketball players and coaches, there are things you know, they don't just come out and play a game. Like they're practicing every day. And there are specific habits that you have to get into. And in sales, a lot of that's your activity. Who are you going after? Do you know who your target customer is? Because you have to back into, this is how I make money. It's spelled out in your comp plan. And so you back into, okay, in order to make money, I can, you know, it's usually number of people you're signing, yep. average contract value or the dollars that you're signing and how many, and then those two things add up. So you figure out how to get in there. And um, so he was really good about helping me early learning, backing into my comp and then having a plan. Around, okay, then that means I'm gonna to talk to these people because they're worth more to me, and this is how many I need to be talking to.
1: Got it, got it. Yeah. And you're a rock star salesperson now, but in, in those early days when you were first turning out, did you run into any obstacles? Was it easy for you to just pick up a phone and do those cold calls? Take us back to those days. What were some of the bigger obstacles that you ran into?
2: Sure, yeah. I mean, I remember, and that one was phone sales, which, so I think sometimes that's harder. And I remember being nervous at yeah. first. And because I felt like I didn't know everything about what I was selling. I needed to know all the pricing and all the product that we had. And he was also great about like, nope, you just got to get on the phone and start calling because you'll always know more than them. And just like started me off with like, just ask these three questions, get it started, ask these three questions. And so I think that that's where, you know, just getting to a place where you feel comfortable when you're calling, what's your goal? Do you have just, you have you got an opening statement that's value driven down? And then from there, just start asking questions. Don't feature them. Don't throw up all over them. Just if you get them talking, you'll get into it and you'll figure it out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. And so you rose through the ranks, you got to all these senior positions and, you know, something that you talk about a lot is how, you know, speaking of basketball, every coach has a winning playbook. And so we really want to talk a lot about what does a high functioning sales organization look like all the way from marketing all the way to the AE level? Like, what does that look like?
2: Sure. I talk a lot about, I think sales is actually a people business, but it's built on science and data. And so many people will think it's... You. Know, I think we've come a long way. And especially in the last five years with marketing being a lot more aligned to sales, where before there were sort of two people doing their own thing and process and having much more weight. And that's where I was talking about before, even as a salesperson, you know what you need to do to hit that really as a sales organization, you've got to clearly understand, okay, what is our plan to get to our goal? So do we have a plan and is it realistic around you know quotas and what people are doing? Do we have comp that's aligned with that? And does it actually drive that behavior? And then after that, do we have a process to identify our customer? Do we know who they are? Do we have a process to go out and engage them, bring them through and sign them up, and then onboard them and keep them?
0: Yeah that's a very numbers driven thing. So you talk a lot about running the stats and at being very activity driven. So it sounds like, you know, on the marketing side of things, there's certain things that are involved on the inside sales team, there's certain things that are involved on the outbound AE side of things. Like, can you talk a little bit more about like why activity and like pipeline is so important in a sales organization?
2: Sure. It's going back to the basketball analogy, you're not going to win a game if you don't take shots. Exactly, and if you're not—I mean, if you could sell without having a salesperson, then you would. Mm-hmm. I mean, and if I could figure that out, I'd be really rich because <laughs> that's the holy grail, right? Like, yeah. I mean, we wish everything was just automated online and everybody self serve but the reality is, once you get you know SMB customers, a lot of times they're small business, they're running their business, they don't have time to figure all this out, so they do need someone to talk it through. And then once you get in mid-market enterprise, it's just more complicated, and there are things around, you know, really. Deeper qualification, making sure there's a fit. There's technical implications. There's you know trials and POCs. And so you know, without a salesperson, you're not going to get there. But for, as a salesperson, you need to be having those conversations. And if you're not having conversations, and so that you can you know, get people through each of those steps, then you're not going to be able to get them across the finish line.
0: Got it. That makes a sense. So when you're thinking about hiring people, since you've hired so many, what kind of qualities do you look for in every function? And then can you kind of like talk a little bit more about, you know, how long it takes to get promoted in each of those roles all the way up to VP level?
2: Sure. And an AE, I think there's a couple things that I look for. And then I also, especially with clients, they're looking for, you know, one is on the experience side. I'll talk about that first because then I think then there's the qualities of that person. Typically, people would like to have somebody that has at least two of these three. You've sold a product that has a similar Average contract value you've sold to the same decision maker, or you've sold in that space. Mm-hmm. I don't. It's not always, and depending on who it is that you need to have, I think it's hard to find all three of those. But if you can find, because you want to, the same the average contract or the average the same price is important because a lot of times that dictates the sales cycle. Yeah. You know, people that have sold in very high velocity sales cycles, then going to enterprise, all of a sudden, that's a very different sale, different cycle, much more detail oriented. A lot of times, it's not a fit for actually that person.
0: And for the people that don't know, can you break down what a sales cycle is?
2: Sure. Thank you. Keep reminding me of those things. <laughs> that's the time it takes from the minute you engage or attempt to engage a customer to signing the customer up. Okay. okay. So in small business, you know, average sales cycles are two to four weeks. In mid-market, it's three months. In an enterprise, it can be six plus.
0: Got it. And so you're usually walking people through a sales process through a sales cycle. Correct. Okay. And so what are the basic elements of a sales process?
2: So it's usually you're reaching out, trying to engage the customer, and or you've had an SDR engage a, s- sales a customer, development a sales there. development representative, engage the customer and do some light qualification. And that's sort of different depending on the... But it usually comes around to, you know, are is there some kind of need or a potential product fit there? Do I have the right decision makers as, you know, the person that could sign or could get us into the sign? Is there timing right now and is there a potential budget? Each organization thinks about what you want to know before that call. And then you have a discovery call. Mm -hmm. So that's where you're going deeper. And that to me, that's the most important part of the sales process because if you cannot find out you know what their challenges are right now, and more importantly, what the implications are to them if they don't solve them. Yep. I see so many salespeople that will ask those questions. Oh, well, what is your biggest challenge right now? Oh, okay, and then they just move on to, but they don't say, well, what are you doing right now to solve it? So if you don't solve that, you know what happens, and what's going to happen? Where are you going to be? And really digging in so you can find out. I mean, people buy for two reasons, either. Pleasure now or in the future or pain now or in the future. And you've got to be able to come back and show how you're going to solve that. And so by asking those questions. And then it helps you because then you're wrapping up. And when you're moving to the demo and you've checked off that, okay, you know, of whatever you're discovering. Yeah. And they we're in the ballpark. This looks good. And you're moving into a demo. I always want to say, Great. So it sounds like Ruben, I think we're definitely going to help you increase your revenue. And I'm going to show you a couple ways we're going to do that. We can do that by 20% or more. And we're going to help you reduce the time you're spending on this by five or more hours a week. If we can do that, does that sound like we might have a fit?
0: Sounds great. Great.
2: And then you're going into the demo. (laughs) Let's see. And then you're going in the demo and you're actually customizing it to show them the things that they care about. Don't show them every freaking feature that you got or you're going to lose them. And then it makes it easier, obviously, when you're getting to the close to... Go back and identify yeah, and
1: Why is the sales cycle for an enterprise much bigger, much longer than a small business? Just curious.
2: A lot of times it has to do with the people that are involved in the decision making process. More
1: stakeholders, it takes longer to, to look, get and, everyone on board, right?
2: Yeah. And then also, depending on the product you're selling, there may be contract or timing implications. So they've got to wait for budget to come up, or they're in a contract with someone else, and that contract is coming up at a certain time, and there's a trial.
0: Got it. Got it. So it sounds like You know, you have this sales process, you have the sales cycle, you have SDRs, you have AEs, and then what?
2: And then from there, usually it's um, well, in the sales process as an AE, then you're usually passing it off to either a customer success or an account manager who's going to manage it long term. And different people have different ways that that's, or you have an implementation process and that person's managing it. And if it is a more enterprise level, you've got a sales engineer working with you through that process. I think if you're talking about from a growth standpoint, so where you I g- mean,
0: so customer success co- account managers, they focus on upselling. And so, something that you talk a lot about is like this what is my plan to get promoted? And so, from what I understand, from what I've read from all your talks, you guys should definitely check out her talk, Scaling Sales from A to B. You start off as an SDR to become an AE, correct? Mm-hmm. And then, what if I want to become a VP of sales? What's the trajectory?
2: Great question. So, there's a couple of ways that you can go. I think people, either move to a senior AE role or more senior AE roles. And that typically entails that you're working with bigger clients. So you're going out and selling either a different product and or just to a bigger client. Or in some cases, there's leadership. So now I want to go in and I want to manage either team lead, mentor, and then manage folks. And if you're at a place where they have a program that you can test that, I usually build in career path, the ability for people to be mentors or to be team leads, because I think it's such a great way. It's just a completely different role. And sometimes as salespeople, we are very competitive. And you just think, oh, because that's a promotion, I want it. You don't think about what you'd actually be doing every day. And especially when you're used to driving your own paycheck, and now you're depending on someone else to drive your paycheck. It can be people don't like that sometimes. But it gives you a chance to also test that out. Or in some cases, I've also seen people go to the account manager role. Great. Now that I've been more on the hunting side, I want to be on the farming side. I want to test that out. And sales ops is obviously very hot now
0: too. So sales ops is people that are building the systems out.
2: Yeah. So all the people that make things work behind the scenes. So typically- Create the reports. Yeah. People that are doing Salesforce reports, rolling out programs, all the tools and collateral that you use- A lot of times that's a combination of your sales enablement, operations team, working with marketing. Mm
0: -hmm. So once you understand all of that, then you know how to manage all of that and you become a VP of sales. And so from what I understand, you can correct me if I'm wrong, a high-functioning sales organization should have a marketing team that generates the leads, right? Right. warms them up through content marketing, scores them in something like Marketo, SDRs are attacking them with a certain level of activity, that's Mm -hmm. handed off to the AEs. AE has attacked that with a certain level of activity. Most of their time is focused on closing. A certain t- percentage of time is focused on prospecting. And then we know what everybody is supposed to produce. And then the VP of sales is managing all that. Is yep. that
2: correct? And then the account managers are upselling. You got it.
0: Oh, perfect. Sounds good. Nice. Sounds good. What it's, about, it's easy,
1: can you right? tell us a little bit about the different environments? Because there are some sales organizations that are very aggressive and they're almost like incentivizing people purely based on comp. And then I would imagine there are some that are a little bit more laid back. So can you just contrast some of the organizations you've worked at and kind of what should people expect from these different types of companies?
2: Sure. Yeah, there are definitely, I think, a couple of different sales environments out there. And, and it goes back to when you're talking about hiring and we talked some about the experience and background, but on the, I think those organizations do hire a little differently on the skill or on the more values and soft skills side around that. I always look for on that you know somebody that's intellectually or they're curious. They're just naturally curious because if they are, they're going to be thinking about problem solving, and they're going to be that way with your customers too. That they have some kind of drive. Um, It doesn't have to necessarily have been in sales, but there's something that they're passionate about. They're problem solving. They do have you know their goal setting, and they have the ability to be process oriented to some extent because sales is a process. So I think that going back to when you're
1: looking at like different like environments. environments. yes. Thank yeah. you. I was like, like the Wolf of Wall Street, yeah. like the sweatshop versus like, I don't know, yeah. maybe something that's a little bit more laid back and more supportive, I guess.
2: And so that's where the two different environments. I personally am a fan of a more consultative where your talent is really important and you're going to grow them internally environment. Mm-hmm because if you look at data it actually shows that those companies tend to be more profitable and there's a lot around what really drives people and Daniel Pink wrote a great book called Drive around that and you know so I do believe in a lot of his methodology and I'm also a big believer in Gallup and strength finders I've done that with every team where you really identify and you know their whole I guess mantra is that you know if you engage your employees and you are developing them they will stay longer and that leads to more profitability and growth and so you know fundamentally you have to know is that person in the right? Do they know what they need to do every day? Do they have the tools to be successful? Is somebody actually investing in them? Have they been told, given any recognition in the last 7 days? And to me, that type of environment that gets people engaged and continues to help you grow them, it's very expensive as y'all know to continue to churn employees and or churn your talent. And so, in a model like you're talking about which a lot of sales companies have and I've seen it where it's like you come in, we're going to put you through a week of training and then we're going to put you on the phones. And you, you know, prove yourself. And by the way, the VP of sales won't talk to you until you actually hit your quota. And then somebody's going to pay attention to you. Those are, they get to a certain point, but I think you only get so much productivity out of fear versus growth. And so I feel like a lot of the companies like that also have, you know, lower margins and higher costs because of that turnover. Yeah. And and longer term, it's just hard to get the right talent then, right? Think about now, I mean, with Glassdoor, And you can find out everything. It was easier before when people weren't talking about what it was really like to work in a company. But now I think you end up continuing to in a company like that. It's harder and harder to find great talent because the people you actually probably really want to work there don't want to work there.
0: Yeah. And something else that you talk about when it comes to the great talent is hiring an athlete over experience. Mm -hmm. What does that mean?
2: The days of back 10 years ago when so much of sales was outside sales people would hire a rolodex, right? You'd think, "Oh, I got to hire that person because they've already worked here and they've worked with these 20 customers and they're going to bring them over." And now, first of all, people buy differently. I mean, every, you know, most people have done made up 50% of their decision already by the time you talk to them because they've already shopped it online, they've talked to other people, they've read reviews. So the buyer situation and life cycle is different, and now you don't have to have that knowledge because you can teach people with marketing, with being able to pull in lists, actually go out and market, have a better value prop. You can actually teach people. It's a lot easier to teach people about a product or an industry than it is to teach them how to (laughs) have motivation, have drive, continue to be better, understand their process. And so finding somebody that has all that down and they just need to learn the industry or the product to me is a no-brainer.
0: Building a sales organization that's based off of the relationships versus, you know, a prospecting engine or like a lead generation engine is a good idea or a bad idea.
2: Those relationships are only going to get you so far. Exactly. I mean, you need to manage your clients. But if you think, oh, I brought this person over because they know 50 people in this industry and all those people are going to come over with them, I very rarely see that happen.
0: Yep. Yep. No, that makes a lot of sense. Speaking of glass door and transparency and things like that, let's talk. And we talked about the trajectory. Let's talk about money. Let's talk because a lot of sales ca- people care about money, right? And so let's talk about you know what's average comp for these different roles, including for a VP of sales. And like then let's talk about the job of why a VP of sales is a good investment and when to bring one in.
2: Perfect. Okay. So average comp for roles. One thing I'll say that's kind of a rule around that is. You have to think about who you're selling to. Again, a lot of the comp is derived from what the person's quota is and what the average contract value is or your first year selling price. So I'll have people tell me, Oh, but my friend's making this. And then when I dig in, well, their friend's selling something that's a hundred thousand dollars and their quota is 1.5 million. And what they're (laughs) selling is, you know, and they have a quota of 250. And I'm saying, right, but your friend is bringing in, you know, six times the revenue. And therefore making more money because of that. And it's usually a complex, you know, so it, everything's relative to that. Yeah. In SaaS, the the kind of guideline is, you know, anywhere between and depending on how early stage you are and how much equity you're getting, the cash component is 18 to 25% of your quota. So if you're asking what your quota is, and then, and somebody's telling you a million dollars, you should expect that that role is probably ballpark 200 all in. Yep. And it's usually 50-50.
1: Yep. 50/50
2: 50, 50. 50% base and oh. 50% mm, commission.
1: commission. Commission based. Yep. Gotcha. Yep. That's and good. that's for all the roles uh, SDR account manager.
2: That's for an AE yep. on a. up.
1: And usually no cap. So like Usually no
2: like, cap. Yeah. And you want to ask that. If they have yeah. a cap, I'd wonder why. Yeah. Because once you pay once you get over your I mean think about it this way from my perspective as a head of sales or even if I were to, you know, put on my CEO's hat or CFO you're paying once somebody's over there. In fact, I love to put accelerators that are almost double because if you think about it, 20%, once somebody's over there, I'm either going to pay another person to bring that same thing in and I'm paying them 20% or I'm paying you 15% on the overage. So I'd rather... That's double for you, but that's 5% cheaper for me. So that's an AE and that's mostly... That's mid-market enterprise SaaS. Well, it's the same in SMB, it's just usually structured different.
0: SMB is a small, small business. business.
2: So yes. usually if the contract value is more like 3 to 5,000 yep. annually or less, sometimes that will be in the form of you get a percentage of your book of business or in your first year because you're building a book of business, it's based on number of activations. Got it. or billing clients, but that rolls I guess it's usually somewhat aligned to that.
0: And how's the, the to Artist point, what's the structure for SDR comp?
2: SDRs are typically a little more 60-40. Mm-hmm. So a little more base, a little less, because you don't have quite the same amount of control. Most SDRs right now in the Bay Area, the OTE for an SDR is anywhere between 75 to 100, depending OTE on- OTE is- uh, Oh, on target earnings. Uh-huh. So total, your base plus your bonus. Depending again on the size of the deals that you're working and bringing Mm -hmm. in, and scr's usually have the commission piece of it is based on either most of it, mostly it's usually new opportunities that you've created. So, you know, you've got to work well with your AE that they've accepted that yes, that was a qualified opportunity, Mm -hmm. and a percentage of deals that close.
1: Yeah, yeah, and you mentioned that to be an AE, you you kind of look for someone who has either industry experience or Prior experience selling that similar product. For someone who is applying for like the SDR role, what are the things that you look for in that candidate?
2: Great question, because a lot of times they won't have that. I'm so, really looking for more of those qualities around, you know, have they done anything that's high volume before? Have they done anything where they've had to be on the phone or they've had to reach out to folks? Mm-hmm. So, I look, I mean, even in school, did you do any fundraising? Did you do yeah. anything? You sold Girl Scout cookies. <laughs> what did yeah. you do? where you actually had to just talk to people. yeah, And you know, so looking for something like that, there's a lot of tell me about a time where you didn't hit a goal. What did you do? You know, A lot of just understanding their motivation and their situational. The SDR organizations that I've built, you are taking a little bit of a risk sometimes because you don't know. And so then this goes back to changing behavior. You've got to have a program and process where you're really bringing these folks in, and you're onboarding them, and they are learning, and onboarding, in the
0: onboarding, yeah, um, onboarding is really important. Yeah, yeah.
2: And in the first sixty days, you can see if they're going to. I mean, I know in two weeks if somebody's going to at least be able to hit quota or not, because they're either picking it up and they're starting to. In my program, we break down the steps of the sales process into this seven-week challenge. And people get certified, so we spend a whole week on just getting to the decision maker because that's really hard. And one of the biggest challenges people have is actually being able to set their own appointments or get back in. In SMB, a lot of times you don't have an SDR because the CAC, you know, the yeah. cost of acquisition, doesn't work. And so, you know, getting people to understand that, and then you know they're setting the agenda up yeah. front, or the discovery and qualification is one, and then actually doing a more in-depth needs analysis. And yeah. so we break all that out. And as you're going through that combined with, again, activity, are these folks like reaching out? Are people responding to them? Are they able to start sending demos that turn into opportunities as an SDR? You have enough to know if that person's going to make it or not.
0: Yeah. So speaking of like onboarding like ramp time, you know, for uh, like the amount of time you usually give someone to start hitting their quota on the SDR side, what would you say are like estimates for that? And then on the AE side, what do you would say are estimates for that? Or would you say that's dependent on? The industry?
2: Uh, Dependent on sales cycle. So STRs are usually three months. And so are sm- small business AEs. In mid-market and enterprise, because sales cycle is a little longer, it's usually a three to six month. Got it. So you'll want to see some leading indicators in the first three months and how they're building their pipeline and that they've got more pipeline each month. And they're moving things through their pipelines. So they're getting some things into a trial, and, but it can take a little longer because the products are more technical got and it. it takes a little longer to get...
0: Got it. And so for mid-range AEs that are selling larger contracts, their comp all-in is 200 plus, like just based off of what we talked about. And so, you know, the time to bring in a VP of sales, let's talk about that. And then also what their comp is and what why that job is important, what they do in their job. Because a lot of people will just see a VP of sales and sometimes they never talk to them. Or is that how it should be run or like, what do they do?
2: Well, I think if you are running your team that way, you're going to be really surprised at actually what's happening on your floor mm-hmm. if you're not out there and understanding what's going on. So people that are behind the scenes usually don't... are surprised they have more attrition or or you're just not problem solving. When is the right time to bring in someone? So typically what happens is you've got a product fit, the founder or the CEO or the founding team usually hires one or two people. I always recommend two just because you should make sure that there's not a it's actually a process issue and not the person issue, but bringing those folks in, you start to get some traction and then at that point if you're going to go hire more people, that's where it starts to become it's a bandwidth issue and you also need to start putting in some process and some other things to make sure that you really can start measuring your funnel and you really start to get that end-to-end process. So some companies, you know, I think there's a couple of different philosophies here. Some people will go ahead and hire a VP of sales, and they might hire somebody that's got some more experience. Some companies will hire a director and say, "I'm willing to give somebody a shot because internally, internally, or actually externally too, okay. so I'll take somebody." So for people that are thinking, you know, how do I get from I'm a manager here or I'm a director, but I'm in a company that we're you know pretty steady state, and now I want to go to a startup and have a shot at that. Sometimes startups and my clients look at this. I'll say, like, let's look at somebody that's been managing people, but that's been somewhere where they really had to put a lot of this. They had to build the tools. They had to, you know, they have to know Salesforce. They player coaches. They're on calls. They're really Mm -hmm. understanding the customer needs, removing obstacles from those folks. They're in the weeds because that's what you have to be in that first. You know, until you've got fifteen or twenty people. Yeah, and then that's where you know, and there's and you guys have probably heard it, but in SaaS, there's a huge joke about like your first. Go ahead and hire your first VP of sales because they're never going to be your long-term VP of sales. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I don't, I actually don't agree with that all the time. And yeah. I guess I was one of those people that got a shot and then continued to grow with the company. But you know, but I do think sometimes it's just the, the wrong person's hired, yeah, or that they just didn't have some of the help that they needed to get yeah. some of that stuff in place. What did you
0: say it's a common practice in the? Sorry to cut you off. No, like in the Bay Area, it's, since they like think about Andy Grove, high output management. It's common practice to think about promoting internally mostly. Yep. Is that what most people would do?
2: Yes. And I think that's what people look for. You want to bring somebody in with the intention of, well, even if you're a director level now, you're going to grow with a company and I'm going to promote you to a VP and I'm going to let you grow into that.
1: Can you so, talk about, hold up? so why is the VP of sales kind of a transitory role versus a more permanent role? Like, Do they move up to something uh, like to hire more senior status or do they end up switching over to a different company?
2: It's very common for your first VP of sales or your first to not be your long-term person because it's just different skill set. You know, at that, your first 10 million in revenue, you are scrappy and in the weeds. And after that, you are doing more thinking about, you need to be more proactive and be able to actually think three months out, six months out understand strategy a little more. I find when I've been hiring sales leaders, they sort of start falling in two buckets. You've either got really good executors, like give me the plan. Okay, I know what we're doing and I'm going to go implement it with my team and we're going to drive it. We're going to make it happen. Or you've got really good strategic folks, but they're not great at motivating and managing your team. So they've got, Oh, I got a plan for this and I've looked at all the data and I've done this, but yet they're not getting great buy-in from their team because they're not developing them. And it's hard to find people, frankly, that have both of those things. And so... Think a lot of times, depending on what the makeup is, people will go with one or the other. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times initially you're going with an executor, but then longer term, as you grow and it gets more complicated and you potentially are going in a new market and different channels and different teams, you need somebody that can be strategic too. So let's say
0: Angelo on our team is Rostar AE and or like he's getting promoted. We're thinking about him being VP of sales and like you know, CEO sits down with him. He's like, Hey, I want you to be VP of sales. And they're talking about promoting his salary. Like what kind of salary should he expect as a VP of it sales fails. and how are they compensated from like like bonuses and like win bonuses or commissions and things like that?
2: Great question. So SaaS, it's very similar to AEs actually. So in SaaS earlier stage, so A and B are under 20 million. It's roughly 300 to 350, 50-50 again, 50% base, 50% bonus. Usually it's a quarterly bonus based on your team's. Revenue yeah. growth. And typically it is also not capped, or at least that's what I always recommend. Um, and then obviously you have equity with your package. Yep. So kind of standard is, you know, depending again on where you are in rounds or in series, how much you've raised, it's anywhere from half a point to a point. And then it can go up to two. Yeah, And that's sometimes you have more room to negotiate on
0: Yeah, I mean, that You keep the lights on. Yeah. And so like, so thinking about things from a VP of sales perspective, like what do they do? on a day-to-day? I mean, I know there's a lot of things you go into detail on in your video, but kind of like just high level, like what reports are you looking at on a day-to-day basis? Because we know what AEs do on a day-to-day and what SDRs do on a day-to-day. What does a VP of sales do on a day-to-day basis?
2: Yeah, I was going to say, get on Snapchat.
1: <laughs> Check Instagram. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a balance of, and I ask this actually when I interview for sales leadership, I say like, Tell me about what you do this past week? What, t- what do you prioritize on your calendar? And I look for a balance of 50% of it is something that they're doing that's actually developing their team. And the other 50% are things around strategic priorities. So, you know, typically it is they're looking at you are like you said, you're looking at reports, you're and not just but the data underneath. So why if we're are we is our forecast are we on you know target to hit our plan if we're not why and what's happening and what are things we can do to move that both short term and longer term and under so what are some short term things but then what are longer bigger things that we need to fix cuz that's going to keep happening and how do you go and put pro- a plan in place and initiatives to get those things fixed so working cross functionally with folks if it's that hey we're not we're qualifying out or we're not qualifying in enough leads okay well you know how are we getting this the data in the first place is it mostly outbound so do we have a database that's actually got the right target customers is it something where we need to be training the SDRs differently you know are we do, are we using a tool that helps them with outreach and actually you know doing email sequencing so you know looking at all of those to see what you're getting in the top of the funnel i mean the three levers you really have to play with are how many People and prospects you potentially have, how many you qualify them in that will actually meet with you, Mm -hmm. right? And you get to, and then how many qualify through the demo and close. So you've got to think about what can you do at each of those stages to improve your conversion rates.
1: Awesome. Yeah. And as a VP of sales, can you talk about uh, who do you report to? And then what types of conversations do you have with the, I'm guessing it's the CEO, but like when you're in a meeting with a CEO, does the CEO tell you, hey, we have this product? Just get revenue or do they tell you hey like we still want to figure out what does the client want so what type of conversations do you have with the the person that you you report to
2: Yeah. yeah so normally you do well I shouldn't say normally in most cases especially earlier stage you do report to the CEO in some cases as a company grows you'll see Vps of sales that actually report to a CRO so again depending on revenue and how many sales teams you have and but the conversation usually is, it differs by just like whoever's managing you now, people different. I mean, I've worked for five product or five founder CEOs, three of them are product, two of them finance, and they cared about different things. So for me, it was really understanding what are the things that I needed to make sure we're on their radar and what are things that they're going to care about? And then what are things that are informed? And one of the things I started doing actually at Living Social, because Tim was a, is a product guy. And so there were certain things that I realized, like some of the stuff, the process and the tools and collateral, he didn't care as much about, but he did care a lot about what the customers thought, you know, what was happening on the customer side. He did care about the numbers and then he cared about some of the, you know, how we were continuing to innovate. And then I need sometimes things from them too. And so I started doing, and it's something I still do to this day with my clients, is I do like Friday updates. And okay. that's where I'm, you know, we have specific KPIs that we've agreed on. This is what we're measuring. Key
0: performance indicators. Keep, thank
2: you. Key okay. performance indicators. So here's results for the month and quarter. Here's how we're trending. Here's what the pipeline looks like. Here's key things that happened this week that you may want to know about or things that we've talked about initiatives and just a quick status. And then I have things that are going well, things that I are putting on an alert and questions or things I need from you.
0: Got it, got it. So he gets a weekly report or she gets a weekly report. And speaking of like reports and dashboards, And sales ops, like what would you say are like the top three dashboards that you think like should be created, you know, when you start creating this type of reporting to be able to manage your entire sales team?
2: Yep. So I have I like to separate my dashboards into results and then productivity. So I'll look at and usually by team. So I'll look at, you know, results. So you know, results are typically a combination of again, obviously the revenue that people have sold. So I do it actually on a team basis and then an individual basis, and then usually month and quarter. So I want to see both revenue in a lot of cases, depending but how many deals that actually is. So how many customers and if they have a situation where you're onboarding them to, you want to see that those activations are happening. And then on the productivity, I look at the underlying. The biggest thing I look at is demos or customer calls. Well, and it depends, right? In more enterprise, you want to look at number of people in trial that are moving forward when trials are ending and are we are those contracts moving forward? But you also want to look at, you know, how many people are we getting to a demo. Cause that means that you've qualified them, it's serious. And at that point you start knowing what your conversion is. You know, if we get for every three people in demo, one of them goes to trial. So then you can start doing the math backing into, okay, we've got a pipeline of this much. But if, if sometimes your people will have a lot of stuff in the pipeline because there's the whole adage of you want to have free times in your pipeline. But if you're looking at you have to look at what stage that's in too because yep. you could you're looking at the pipeline number, and it's saying, "Great, your quota is a million. You've got three million, but two and a half of it's all in discovery. Yep. You're in trouble. Yes. <laughs> you need to have, you know, a big portion of that in demo or beyond."
0: Yeah, yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And so it's not, you've covered a lot of things. Can you talk a little bit about sales trends? I know you said like average AE is like 14 months, and just like just sales trends you see in tech in general.
2: Yeah, I think you know a couple of them. We talked a little bit about I think marketing and sales work now better. Together than ever, and especially now that a lot of the leads are more content driven, so white papers and webinars and nurturing campaigns, and so you know, gone I think are the days where I mean, I remember being an AE in the early days and even having teams, and I'm like, yeah, I know marketing sending that email, we're going to rewrite them all because they don't sound like they're coming from salespeople; <laughs> they sound like you know, and they're all feature dumpy. And now I think you know that product marketing has gotten a lot better. And works really well with sales, and so I think that that's a great trend and that is really beneficial to sales teams so I think those days of like those two teams not talking to each other are gone or they should be in a team that's working high function you know some of the other trends I think that have happened in the bay more specifically in the Bay Area because we do have so many startups is you know that the fourteen months so the average time in a job here aE is with And a role at a company is 14 months. And there's a couple of reasons for that. One, people are... There's a lot of companies to go to. So they're being heavily recruited. Sometimes it sounds like the grass is greener. Either they're on target earnings sound more. So maybe they're making 140 now, 70-70. And this person's saying, oh, well, that's 160 here. 80 80, but they're not asking the questions around, okay. Well, how many people, you know, they're not doing their due diligence on, well, what's the average size that I'm signing? How many do I have to sign? Okay, wait, is that really doable? How many people are hitting quota? So I think, you know, what, where are you growing the team to? What's the support like? So really understanding all those things. And then they get to that role and it can be disappointing. So I think that there's, you know, some of that happening. And then I think on the flip side, there's companies that are growing so fast that they're actually not investing in those people. And they're feeling like, I don't have the tools and the support I need to do my job. And so I am going to go somewhere else where where there is that. I mean, yeah. it's interesting to talk to a salesperson now that they've been through a couple yeah. of jobs and they start to get that.
1: Yeah. yeah. And you've worked at a lot of different companies uh, in various roles. I'm curious if um, you've come across any anomalies, whether it was individual performance or the team performance, where it was kind of way, um, I guess, higher conversion rate than the typical expected rate. And like, what do you think helped those either individuals or teams perform at such a high level?
2: Great question. I think I'm thinking about it more, I guess, from top performers to average performers. Mm-hmm. Your top performers are typically going to have a much higher close rate. Mm-hmm. And it's because they're a lot better at protecting what actually comes in their funnel, they're really good at qualifying out. At the top, and only putting things in their pipeline that they think are real Mm -hmm. and not starting to put things in that are like, well, maybe if this happened, or maybe, you know, if it's a Tuesday and somebody's wearing blue shoes, this will actually come through. I'm going to put it in there anyway because I'm supposed to have three times my number in my pipeline. You know, they're very, so they'll have less things, but those things usually close more. I think top performers are much better around, you know, on their schedule Mm -hmm. and really being diligent about those pieces and being diligent about their time. They know. I need to have this many calls. And by the way, I have this time or this time. I'm not rearranging my calendar all over mm-hmm. the place because I've, I've got a, a structure around that. So those are things that I see where those folks typically can work 30 hours a week and hit their goal. And other people are really trying to hit it through volume. I'm just mm-hmm. going to keep throwing things up at the wall and sticking. And top performers are people that figure out how to get past that volume stage.
0: Mm-hmm. Got it, got it. And so when overall, for somebody that's like, an SDR that's trying to like do this whole type of thing? Like, How long should they be in an SDR role before going to an AE? Because SDR is typically training ground for mm-hmm. AE, correct?
2: Yes. So average right now, I think is um, roughly a year and a half to two years. Okay. And it's a function of a couple of things. Number one, you are learning both sales process, you're learning the product, you're learning how to use Salesforce, you're learning you know, the entire package. And so it's really giving you time to get ramped up, to make sure that you like it, to make sure you want to move. Because again, you're now moving to a role where even more of your compensation is going to be based on your results. And so you want to make sure you've got that down before you step off into the deep end of the pool. So that's typically what I've seen. I mean, there are some companies that fast track it. And I think that that's one thing. I know that we did that at Zenefits. I and mean, I did that at Main Street Hub before because it was a great way to actually bring some talent in. And if you have the resources to really make sure that you've got a program that they're learning, and that by the time you promote them, they'll be able to hit their goal, then it can be a great recruiting tool.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I really like what you said about like, not in your same talk, you talked a lot about like not just having A players, but having like a balance of players, kind of like the money ball, like warriors type strategy. Yep. And so can you talk a little bit about how like people always try to hire just the A players and like create a team. And but like you talked about, like, how do you create that mix, that dynamic of people?
2: And that's where you have to think about long term. You want people we were talking about before, like the roles you can move into. You want some people that are gonna move to a team leader or manager role. You want some people that maybe wanna be an account manager. And so if you're hiring all the exact same person, then you're just gonna have all the people in the exact same role and it's gonna be hard. You know, sometimes the people that end up being your managers aren't your top performer. You're, they're your solid performer. But that's because they're also getting under the hood around process that, or they're spending time coaching other people because they do love that. So I think really looking for people that will bring different skills to the team. You know, there are some things, again, that you'll want to identify as you know key things that you have to have in characteristics. And the characteristic side is both... That they'll have the aptitude to do the job. So I think about it, and then can do, will do, and fit. Right? Yep. Can they do the job? Will they do the job? Which is more behavioral and trying to interview for that. And then are they a fit for your culture and your organization? And you know, some of those things you have to make sure. Like when we talked about, you know, we've got this. Are they going to come in and pound the phones and kind of be an asshole, or are they actually really about like we're competitive? I like teams that are competitive, and we. But at the end of the day, we're all on the same team. And when we share and we learn together and we get better together, then we all win. Yep. And so, you know, I think that that's where you're looking for yeah. those and, folks too.
0: And typical interview process for you is like, you assess that culture thing. You do the role playing, see if mm-hmm. they tried to close us, tried to do any hesitation things. And what's the, you usually do three steps, right?
2: Right. So it's um, usually there's a culture interview. Yep. And I like that to be with a sales rep. So first they come in and they do. I like to have two different managers, one manager that does behavioral. So it's a lot of like, walk me through what your quota is now. Okay, now walk me through your process. Walk me, tell me about a time when you got feedback from a manager. And what did you, how did you take that? And what did you do with it? Tell me about a time when you disagreed with somebody on your team and what happened. So really just understanding them in situations by having them actually tell you real situations, because if they can't come up with them, they're lying. And then having the culture, which is like, why don't you sit down? I like to do that because number one, I don't ever want it to be a surprise when somebody walks in. I want them to be able to sit down, see that person, one of your better reps, but what they're actually doing, see their sales force, hear them on a call, get a chance to ask them questions. And then vice versa, that person usually, um, sometimes you'll have people, they'll ask good questions or they'll say things like, so do I really have to come to the office every day? How many yeah. hours do you really work? <laughs> yeah. for real.
0: No, it's important questions. Yeah. Got it. Got it. And so you know, you're a seasoned exec. A lot of people say, you know, the quickest way to the CEO seat is through sales. But you're running this cold method thing. So, like, what what do we expect to see from you over the next five, ten years?
2: Okay, great. Well, I want to say <laughs> one more thing about some of this around people growing in organizations and getting yeah. to the next role. You know, a couple of things that I've been a big believer in that I've done my entire career that I think sometimes people don't do. are, number one, always ask for what else you can be doing. So, like, anytime you get a chance to First of all, look for somebody that's doing it better than you and go learn from them. Put your tail between your legs and say, you know, I remember at City Search, I was the top performer for a while and we hired this another um, woman and she beat me one month and I was bitching about it to my dad. And he was like, I don't know why you're bitching about it. You should just go figure out she's doing something better than you. (laughs) And, you know, so I said, I want to go on calls with you. And you know some of the stuff she was doing was stuff I had done, and I just had gotten lazy in my process. And so I think always looking for somebody that's doing something better than you, and it sometimes is not inside your organization; it's outside. But how can you do things better, faster, and then being willing to take feedback and always asking for that? Yep. There's so many people that are so defensive, and I, I see that as a if you're not willing to every day do something that scares you a little bit, you're never going to think of a way you could do it better, or faster, so, and you're not willing to take. It's the only way you're going to learn, and so. You know, by doing those things, I was lucky. We talked about early that, you know, I had that mentor at Steamboat. But when I went to City Search, I was lucky to... We were in the test city. So I got to work directly with the VP of sales then, with the CEO, I was lucky to be one of the first 2010 sales reps. Mm-hmm. And so really grew for five years with that team. But because I just constantly, like basically bugged the shit out of Mitch Musgrove, the VP of sales then yeah. and said, go out on a call with me, tell me what I could do different. And he yeah. was from, you know, had come from not Oracle, but another company like that, and like yeah, really had a lot of, of methodology. And so, I think find yourself a mentor.
1: You gotta be a student of the game. Yep. Fall in love with the process. Yeah. And nowadays, you could actually like pretty sure all the calls are recorded, right? So you could probably go and totally like find the best performing salesperson and just listen to their calls on the way to work.
2: And that's what I have some of my best reps have yeah. done, right? Like they just put, like you said, put it in their phone, listen to them on the way, like and hear. Yeah. I mean, we play them in meetings and things, mm-hmm. but it's the folks that are actually listening and then trying it.
1: Yep. 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 Similar to this athlete example, they after each game, they go back and they watch the tapes. Yep. Uh, right. So if you have the tapes of the top performer, why not go back, analyze, and then try those things, right? And then yep. you talk
0: about incentivizing behavior too. So like whenever the leader implements a change, say everybody try it and then you incentivize things around that. Yep. Whoever does it the fastest or whoever does it best. Right.
2: Or who's getting it? So if you're rolling out a new product or a new feature on your product, or you're rolling out, you want to go after a certain competitor. So one of my clients, we just did this. There's a competitor that now with a couple of features we're on par, and we actually can beat. And so we just wrapped it up as a campaign. You know, partner with marketing. They're doing outbound emails to them. We gave our team a jump, a landing page that's some specific to some things. We you know we arm them with kill sheet. They knew exactly like <laughs> what they were gonna talk. We, you know, practice our opening statement. We had it for that, we practiced about you know the differentiation and the questions we're gonna ask to really poke at, you know, places where we know. So tell me about how when somebody, you know, when people drop off the site, how are you right now going back and getting them coming back in? Oh, yep. well, we don't do that. Oh, you don't have any kind of abandoned booking. So you send them <laughs> an email. Oh, well, you know that you can get twenty percent more sales. So yep. you no, know, I think that that's but then what we did was gamified it and made it a big contest. And the thing about rolling out contests is you have to because we wanted a certain number, you know, they, there's a, a minimum. So they have to hit a certain minimum to qualify. And then starting at that minimum, they're all worth a dollar amount. Yep. And then the person with the most gets like a to night vacation, but there's a Salesforce dashboard and I have that thing emailed to them every freaking day. So they can see exactly where they are. They're ranked. They know. And you know, and then I will every other day just respond to it and say, wow, look at Jonathan. <laughs> he brought two more in. I can't believe Chris, you let him get ahead of you. I'm sure you've got something in your pocket, but I just, I get on and they're talking shit to each other on yeah. chatter or slack. And you know, so like
0: Barry's camp or soul cycle. Totally. Like yeah. <laughs> very cool. Very cool. So, Next five years.
2: Oh, yeah. Next five years. Back to that. Um, (laughs) Five years. Hard to go out five years. Um, 2017. This is where I, you know, it's one of those where you want to tell people, do as I say, not as I do. I'm going into people saying like, we got to build a plan that makes sure that you're going to hit your revenue (laughs) targets in two years. Then we're building out the foundation. And then for me, I'm like, oh, yeah, by the end of this year. I think, you know, part of the reason why I started the Cole Method is that I was fortunate to be in six startups that were fast growing. and in four of them, the situation was, you know what, we just raised this growth round and we now need to go out and hire a bunch of people. And I'm getting in there and realizing not only do we need to hire all these people, which is pretty much a full-time job. You all know how much time it takes interviewing and hiring and orchestrating that whole thing. But oh my gosh, there's no process. There's no marketing collateral. There's no use cases. There's no... Salesforce isn't set up. We don't know... Like We don't have performance expectations. Our comp is wrong. And so it's a common problem that happens. And it's... You know, and as I started talking, well, first of all, I had a lot more CEOs reaching out to me saying, can I just take you to coffee? Or can I talk to you? Do you want this role? And I'm, and I would think you're, or I'd say, you don't need me. You're, you're going to hire 10 people. You don't need a me. You need a strong director, but I'm happy to talk to you about who you should look for and like some of the key things you need to do. And then, so it just became, those are the things that I love to do. And actually making companies successful is a big passion of mine. And helping, you know, I've partnered a lot working for our product C and finite CEOs where, you know, they love that piece, but then they're like, this feels like such a black hole to me and I don't know what to do. But yet execution is one of the biggest reasons that startups fail mm-hmm. because you've got a great product, but then you actually didn't go out and execute on the sales piece. Yep. And being in I've been fortunate to be in a lot of fast growing startups where I've made a lot of mistakes. Mm-hmm. And so I've had to do some of the things we talked about, reach out to people outside. Get you know best practices. Read every book out there. I'm a Mm -hmm. big student of you know talk about that those books and and reaching even reaching out to those the like acceleration formula. Mark Robaj and I Mm -hmm. go back several years and we still talk to each other about like hey what about or I probably bug him a lot more than he did since he's doing some different things. But you know so I think that that's for me. There was just an obvious need there and um, now I think there's the now that I'm getting into it and helping companies do this. It's starting to. Even become a bigger need where at one stage you need this set of tools, at the next stage you need this set of tools. And I'm starting to see too, and you and I were talking about this a little bit earlier, that um, there's really also for all of these people that are getting hired into those leadership positions, there's not a like a two day boot camp they can go to where they're going to do all these things and then walk out, right? You can go to a lot of conferences and you can hear people get on stage and talk high level about methodology and stuff, but there's not a you're going to be with your peers, you're going to come in, we're actually going to build your plan. We're going to, you know, you're going to learn all about unit economics. You're going to build your productivity plan. You're going to- Tell sales ops to build these dashboards. We're going to check off. Exactly. Here's the dashboards you should have. We're going to check off on your sales process. Mm -hmm. And if you look like this and also give them the chance to all talk to each other. Mm -hmm. And so that's something that I'm working on now.
0: Well, I love it. I think think that it's going to be exciting to see is that uh, we love it. It's going to be awesome to see how that develops over time. And I love that you talked about the interaction with product because a lot of people- You know, don't have the tight feedback loop between sales and engineering and product to make sure that what's being built is actually what the customers want. Yep. And so maybe I should ask you how you do that. I'm just going to ask you. So before going into the lightning round, which team was going to tell you, so how do you build those feedback loops into those, into the engineering and product teams?
2: Yeah, there's a couple of ways you can do it. And I'm, this is an area I think where I'm still looking for like better ways to do it because what I want it to be based more on is data, again, and not emotion. And I feel like, What happens sometimes is it's the the dog, the tail wagging the dog, right? You get a rep that comes back and is like, well, I could close this deal if I had this one product thing. And you're like, "But, but wait a minute. All these other people don't need that. Just go out and find them. And it becomes sort of this back and forth between product and sales. So, you know, a couple of things like really being, I'm very, I am a Salesforce Nazi. So I feel like if you it's if it's not Salesforce, it didn't happen. And there's certain things if you have your team through that. And one of them is every time you close out an opportunity, you put why. And if it's product, you have your list of what they need so that you can product can get more ideas of why deals potentially didn't close if there's a product reason. I know that, you know, beyond that, I know that teams are working in their keeping list either on I'm blanking on Alice.
0: I I'm um, not sure
2: exactly. Uh, well, they're keeping lists in a couple yeah, of different. Jira. Jira. yeah,
0: Jira. Um, oh,
2: exactly. yeah, yeah. okay. So you know, and it's, but I think what's hard is that when you don't capture it in a salesperson's normal, you know, when they have to go to different screens and different yep. things, you're just not going to get a lot of that data. The other thing that I've done, um, and I've been started to implement is also just doing some quick, like you know, now you can just do the really quick in the email two yep. or three to customers. So if you don't get a customer. Than just saying, we love your feedback. We're trying to continue to build our product you know, and get them to click on that. Yeah.
1: Something we do actually at uh, my company is we have a Slack channel. Since Slack is so popular nowadays, we have the salespeople. Whenever there's an issue or something that comes up, they just put in the Slack channel. And then we have product engineering, anyone else in the company that's interested in user feedback. Basically subscribes and then uh, if you're like bored you could just go in there and, and go through it. Yeah, and you yep. can go through it. and like there's sometimes like testimonials or like different bugs or issues and so it's a really good way for like anyone in the company to get a sense of what's happening on the ground level, like what the customers are saying.
2: That so, yeah, that's I see that too, and that works really well.
1: Yeah, totally. Yep. So you mentioned some of the books that you're a big reader. What are your favorite uh, sales books? And then what would you recommend to someone who wants to level up and uh, kind of explore different uh, different strategies? Like, What are some of those books that are must-reads for salespeople?
2: Great. So on the sales level, I'm still a student of the Bible that I grew up with was Spin Selling Selling by Neil Rackham. So that's mm-hmm. still kind of my Bible. I know the Challenger sale is mm-hmm. more popular now. And it's basically the same thing, just a little bit of twist on how you're mm-hmm. doing your needs analysis. So I think that's kind of the methodology that I that is the methodology that I use and still follow on a a leadership perspective. One of the first books that I really clomed onto at Living Social when I was trying to figure all this out was Predictable Revenue by Aaron yeah. Ross. And so I know that's sort of a Bible. I like Mark's book too, like acceleration, sales acceleration formula. And a leadership book that I really like for sales managers is First Break All the Rules by Marcus Buckingham. And it talks about what great managers do differently. It does have a sales slant, but it's actually can be used for anyone.
0: Awesome.
1: Very cool. So at this point in the podcast, we do the lightning round. And this is where we'll ask you several questions and try to provide any strategies, tactics, any advice that you have for our listeners. Do I win money? Um, (laughs) Maybe. We haven't tried that yet, (laughs) but depends on how it goes.
2: I'm in sales. I need gamification.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So this question takes us back to the basics. So imagine you were starting... From scratch, you just moved to a new city, you only have a hundred dollars, and you're trying to break into tech, break into sales. Kind of what would you do and how would you spend that a hundred dollars to get back on the feed and break into tech?
2: What do I spend that a hundred dollars
1: to break into tech. Let's assume that like your living expenses are taken care of. Okay, like, I was so gonna food, say, well, I'd probably be an shelter. Uber driver. Yeah. So I
2: <laughs> so I can pay for my expenses while I figure it out. Mm-hmm. I think understand where what you're interested in doing and mm-hmm. where those people are that you can talk to. The great thing about San Francisco is a big networking mm-hmm. city. So if you're interested in a certain role in certain, like, is there a conference coming up? Are there meetups? Are there certain things where you're going to meet those people? And some meetups you have to pay 10 or 15 bucks. I would probably use it to narrow down what are the five or 10 things I can go to where I can meet a lot of people quickly that could potentially get me in mm-hmm. to where I want I think that's to go. Game
0: plan. Yeah. So, you know, we're in the Bay Area, as you mentioned. And tech media tends to talk about the same founders, the same vCS the same people all the time, but we don't talk a lot about like the rockstar sales leaders, and so I would love to know who are the sales leaders that you're inspired by that our listeners and even we can study so we can like just get an understanding of how they got to be in their position similar to how you got to yours
2: yeah, and that's a great question because I think I am I get approached a lot a lot of the people I know are Early stage rock stars. So they've, but they're reaching out, or or I know them because they work for me, or they work for somebody else I know. And so they're, you know, a student of just now getting into their first role. And I'm still, I feel like I have a very small group that I used to network with, but now I'm starting to, again, I need to drink my own Kool Aid and starting to find these places where I can go and, you know, learn from other people because for a while I've been more heads down and focus on some other things. And so now going out, I think that there are, I'm hearing about, or I'll hear from either recruiters or as I'm helping now and meeting some folks. And so I need to do that myself.
0: Are there are there specific people you're inspired by that are salespeople that you look up to that you, like when you were like going down this career trajectory?
2: Oh, with that are salespeople. Well,
0: it's okay if there's none. Like, for example, like Mark Benioff was known to like start in Oracle and then he like came all the way up to become CEO of Salesforce. Like, are there any other people that you know about? I'm curious as well because I'm trying to learn.
2: (laughs) I know that's where.
1: (laughs) What about, uh, what are some of like kind of uh, high performing sales organizations that you're aware of or maybe you have friends working at that people that are starting out in sales, like, what companies should they look to?
2: Yep. That are, um, you know, so there's some of the folks that have, some really good processes are, obviously, Salesforce. <laughs> mm-hmm. And they've got a really good program where they're bringing folks up, but it's a bigger program. I hear that Box has a really good program mm-hmm. and try to think Dropbox as well. I'm trying to think of where I've hired some people recently that... I
0: heard Samsara has a pretty good sales team. Who yeah. does? Samsara. They had a... Oh, yeah, yeah. They came over from Cisco, Meraki team and things like that. So, cool. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome.
1: So, the next question, it's a little, a little bit of a doozy, but basically... We have a lot of people on our podcast who are looking at different roles in tech and you're very successful in sales. But if you had to start over and you couldn't do sales, what other role within a startup would you do?
2: Good question. This is one where I think you have to really understand your own strengths. So in the same way, I think some product people look at sales or engineers. I look at engineering and think that's just a different language for Mm -hmm. me but the things that i've enjoyed when i've been able to do some cross function are operations or marketing product marketing so i think thinking about where where in the customer lifecycle you want to be too and you know what you enjoy if you do enjoy developing the solutions then seeing if there's a role in product or you know if you are technically you have that aptitude in engineering and and looking at that would be you know obviously would be a fit for those folks
0: Awesome. Yeah. Well, we appreciate you taking the time to hang out with us. How can people stay in touch with you?
2: You can reach me on email, mandy at colmethod.com.
0: Awesome. Nice. And shout out to Ha Nguyen uh, from Omidyar for putting us in touch.
2: Yes.
1: Yeah. And Peace. check out the cold method, uh, dot com. Is that the yes, website? Yes,
2: colmethod.com. Yeah.
1: All, all right. right. Great. And what was the YouTube video you mentioned again? Scaling sales from A to B.
0: It's really dope. I watched it all the way until 2 a.m. last night. And I watched <laughs> and took it. I notes. It. I sent it to
1: all my friends. well thanks that's That's awesome it was great having having you
2: thanks for having me
1: thanks for checking us out we appreciate you for listening and always love your feedback on how we can do better if you enjoyed this let us know what you thought on the reviews by going to iTunes searching for Breaking Into Startups subscribing to our podcast and leaving a review Also, if you know someone who came from a non-traditional background and is looking to break into tech, encourage them to sign up to our newsletter or tell them to join the Breaking Into Startups community on Facebook. Remember, if they don't want you in through the front door, go through the back door, around it, under it, or through it. Let's break in.